that. Amen. Amen. Do you have your Bibles this morning? All right, let's lift them up so I can see them. If you're a visitor, you can grab a hymnal. I won't know the difference. <laughs> say after me, say, this is my Bible. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught God's Word. It's His truth transforming every part of my life. And I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I've got to tell you, I had an uh, interesting story I heard about this week. There were, there were two young guys uh, walking through Ash Flat, and one of them had a, a, a sack. You know, he couldn't see inside like a toe sack or something, and, and inside that sack were some chickens. And he's walking down the street, and, and this other fella he knew came walking up, and, and he said, Tom, what do you got in the sack? He said, well, I've got some chickens in my sack. He said, Tom... I tell you what, if I guess how many chickens you have in that sack, will you give me one of them? And Tom said, well, I tell you what, if you guess right, I'll give them both to you. <laughs> Some of y'all are going, I don't get it. That's all right. You'll get it tomorrow. <laughs> uh, if you've been here with us the last few weeks, this, this month we've been teaching a series on crossing over. And we've been talking about moving from one area of our life into the promised land, into the other area of our life that God has planned for us. And it's a very interesting study because we're really moving from who we are to who God wants us to be. And not only from who we are to who God wants us to be, but really who we want to be. Are, is, are any of you feel like you've arrived? You feel like you're pretty perfect? Other than Dennis. But I mean, uh, but, but you feel like, you know what? I, you know, I, I'm there. I'm arrived. God can take me home. I've achieved everything. I know I don't feel that way. There are areas in my life that I want to get better at. There are things that I want to get better at. So as I realize those things, I'm moving from one place to another. And the Bible tells us that we're always moving from glory to glory. God's always moving us. And it doesn't matter if you're 10 years old or you're 100 years old. You're still in the process that God has for you. That's really what this series has been about. It's been about crossing over. And the thing that we've learned, if you remember back in lesson one, was Moses at the Red Sea. Moses parted the Red Sea and they walked across on dry land. What we learned in Joshua chapter one, or actually Joshua three, is that he required, God required the people to step out into the river. And when they stepped out in faith, that's when the water stopped flowing. And so for our own lives, the lesson there is God's going to require you to do something. Many of us want God to move in our lives, but we don't give him anything to work with. We say, God, I need help with this, or God, I need help with that, and then we just sit back and wait for God to do something. Folks, it doesn't work that way. We have to learn to step out in faith. When, when we feel like God's calling us to do something, we need to learn to step out in faith. And as we go into this last week, what we're going to be talking about is crossing over, and it's my ministry. Everybody hold up your finger. Say, my ministry. See, church is about you doing your part in church. And, and I wrote some things here that I thought were so interesting. But let's, let's cover our scripture first, and then I'll jump into it. Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan River, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving you. The children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. You know, 
Let me ask you a question. Whose job, whose job is it to do ministry in the church? Whose job is it? Some of you are thinking, because of how you've been trained, how I was trained growing up, that everybody thinks that it's usually the pastor's job to do ministry. Did anybody grow up thinking that? I mean, it was a pastor's job. If something went on, the pastor had to take care of it, right? It's the pastor's job. And, and the thing that I've learned, the Bible is very clear that that is absolutely not the case at all. The New Testament teaches us that we are all a chosen priesthood. We are all called to ministry. We are all called to ministry. It's not just my job to do the ministry of the church. It's your job. So when I talk about today my church, it's really about your ministry, what God's called you to do in this place. First Peter verse two, or excuse me, First Peter two, chapter nine says this, but you are a chosen people. Everyone say, I am chosen. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever, uh, you remember in elementary school, any of y'all remember elementary school? Some of y'all, that's a long time ago. But you remember elementary school? Do you remember going outside and let's say you're going to play kickball or something and they pick teams? Did you ever get picked last? You know? And, and I remember sitting out there and, and thinking, man, I hope I get picked. I don't want to get picked last. Please don't let me get, I mean, getting picked last was the worst thing on the world, right? I mean, you hated that. That was the worst part of the entire day was getting picked last. What, what the Bible tells us is that we are a chosen people. God picked you. God wants you on his team. You're a chosen people. You're not having to sit back there and think, well, and, and some of you are going, well, Pastor, you don't know about my past. Well, I'm going to cover that here in a few minutes. But you are a chosen people. You are hand-picked to be on God's team. That's good news, isn't it? We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a people that belong to God, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. I want to give you a little bit of history about pastors and about ministers. If you look back in the Old Testament, there was a tribe, and this tribe's job, they, they were the third, the third son was a, was a guy named Levi of the tw 12 tribes of Israel. And the 12 tribes, of those 12 tribes, this one tribe were called the Levites. And the Levites are the ones that were the priests. And the way it basically worked is that if you had a problem in your life, if you wanted to talk to God, you had to go to a Levite, a priest, and go talk to him, and then he would intercede and talk to God on your behalf. Okay? So you didn't talk to God. You had to go somebody else, and they would talk to God for you. Well, something happened amazingly in the New Testament. We don't talk about this enough because we need to understand this. What happened in the New Testament is Jesus showed up on the scene. And when Jesus showed up on the scene, he started talking to them about having a relationship with God. That they didn't need anybody to go in between them and God. They could talk to God directly. We need to understand, for me and you, that may not be a big deal. But for this people, this was revolutionary. This was crazy. It's like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm not a priest. How can I talk to God? And Jesus said, no, 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 no more is that going to be the way that it is. From now on, you're going to be able to have a direct relationship, direct communication with God. Uh, in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit fell, notice that it fell on everyone that was there. It wasn't a certain group of people, not just the pastors or the priests. It fell on everyone, and that power allowed them all to become ministers of the gospel. See, the Holy Spirit comes to empower us for ministry. 
See, the Holy Spirit doesn't come just to give gifts. If you look and you see, why did the Holy Spirit come? Jesus said, if you'll wait, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses in all the earth. The Holy Spirit comes to empower us to be ministers of the gospel. So if you don't walk out with anything else today, I want you to walk out with this. Understand that we are all called to ministry. We are all called to ministry. You know, I've been out before, maybe I was hunting or fishing, and maybe the fish weren't good, and maybe the fishing wasn't good, or the hunting wasn't good, and, and guys know, hey, Chris is a pastor, so, so they might occasionally look over at me like, you going to do something? <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, it's like, hey, you're the holy guy, so, uh, you know, you, you need to talk to the big man, because, you know, y'all got this thing going on, and see if we can catch some fish. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I want you to understand something. You all have the ability to talk to God. You all have the ability to talk to God. God doesn't look at me as this, okay, Chris is the special guy, and then everybody else just has to do their thing. That's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. We are all called to be ministers of the gospel. We all have direct relationship with God. Why does that matter today? Most churches have it backwards. Most churches in the United States around the world have it backwards. What they think is the pastor ministers and the church leads. But that's not what Scripture says. What the Scripture tells us is that pastors lead and the church ministers. Say, I am a minister of the gospel. Are you ready right now? No. You're all ministers of the gospel. You feel that? <laughs> jump back and kiss myself you know whatever the reality is we are all ministers of the gospel are you saved then the power of God lives within you if you've got the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit lives within you and you are empowered to preach the gospel ministry is not a vocation ministry is just who you are ministry is just who you are let me ask you a question how many American citizens do we have in the room today if you're an American citizen, raise your hand. No terrorists here today? Okay, that's good. Did you wake up this morning and did you think, you know what? I'm going to try to be an American today. Did you do that? Why? Because you just are an American, aren't you? You can't try to be an American. All right, let's do that. Let's all try to be Americans. Are you ready? You know, does that do anything? I pulled my hamstring right then. I... I no, you, you can't try to be an American. Being an American is something, it's just a birthright, isn't it? Well, Jesus tells us that we're born again, and we're born into the kingdom of heaven. And just by being saved, you are a minister of the gospel. You know, last week, the best part of the whole sermon was the part that I didn't write in my notes. I've noticed that, that God usually makes that better than what I write down. I don't get that. But, you know, we sang this little light of mine. That is one of the most true little songs that we learn as little kids. Miss Clell has probably taught it to two or three hundred kids. But that little song is so true. And Jesus said that you are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill. And you know what? You, a light doesn't have to try to shine. I mean, these lights that are up here right now, they don't go, oh, the power's on. You know, they don't do that. They just shine, don't they? And you know, as a Christian, Jesus should be so big in you that you just shine. You don't even have to do anything. In other words, are there people that are around you in life that come up to you and say, 
you know, I know you're going through a really hard time, but I just see you at peace. How is that? That's shining. Or there's people that say, you know what, I saw this person being really mean to you. How was it that you weren't mean back? That's where the love of God is bigger in you than those circumstances. Just by being who you are, the love of God shines out from you. Let me explain something else to you. We don't shine so that we can look good. See, these lights, these lights that are up here in my face right now are shining on me, right? Their job is not, is not to shine for themselves. Their job is to illuminate me. <laughs> How they doing? Pretty illuminating? <laughs> Some of y'all are like, I wish you'd turn them off. <laughs> but these lights, their job is to shine towards something else and illuminate it. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We shine to point people to the gospel. We shine to point people towards the cross. The backpack thing is about showing people we love them. Why? But we're pointing them to the cross. Everything we do here is about Jesus. Everything we do is about the cross. Your life should shine so that you can point people towards the goodness of God. Amen? Let me ask you a question. When you go to a church or a building, is the building the holy thing? No. The building's not holy, is it? You know, during Hurricane Katrina, many of you know, I, Trish and I both actually led the relief efforts for Kennecopen Ministries during Hurricane Katrina. And, and we flew in there one night, and I went over to a church, and this church had been completely transformed into a storage facility for food. And when you walked back inside the church, all the pews were filled up with diapers and canned goods and every kind of a food that you can imagine. Now, was that food holy because it was in the church? No. Let me explain something to you. Who is the church? We're the church. Wherever you go, church goes with you. The Bible tells us in Joshua here that as we walk in every place that the sole of our foot treads, we possess it. And you know why that happens? The reason that happens is because God is with you. You are a called people. You are special. Everybody say, I, I am special. <laughs> you are special. And I don't mean, you know, special, special. I mean special. You're really special. Some of you are more special than others. <laughs> but the point of all that is that you are the church. You are the light of the world. And it's not me having to do things. Let me explain something else to you. When you see somebody sick or hurting, you don't have to call me. Not that I won't be there for them. I want to be. You do something about it. You pray for the sick. If you notice, the Bible doesn't say, go get Chris and he'll go pray for the sick. What does it say? You pray for the sick. Lay hands on the sick and pray, and they will recover. You understand that? Some of you are looking at me like a calf at a new gate. And the reason is because I'm rocking your world a little bit. You're going, wait a minute, this doesn't jive with what I was taught my whole life going up. Let me tell you something. That's, it's because it's the truth. It's the truth. Amen? Amen. Well, let's look at a couple of things here of what people tend to have a picture of who Jesus is. They tend to have a picture of what the church is like or what Christianity is. Mark 8, chapter 27, verses, verse 29 said this, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? Jesus was asking his disciples, who are people saying that I am? 
And, and some of the disciples said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. And others say that you're Elijah. And still others say that you're one of the other prophets. And I love this. And Jesus said, okay, that's who they say I am. But who do you say that I am? And, and the disciples, Peter, said, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. So my question for you today is this. Who do you say that Jesus is? Or who do you say that the church is? What do you really think of Christianity? And I want to tell you, many of us, basically because how we grow up or what we think, we have this view of what church is, a view of what Christianity is really all about. And, and some of you, and this is your first blank here, have a view of Christianity as a locked gate. It's a locked gate. What do I mean by that? In other words, church is exclusive. Heaven is exclusive. It's a locked gate. And if you don't have the key, you can't get in. And, and you may think that because religion makes Christianity seem exclusive. Only the good people go to heaven. You ever thought that? Oh, well, they're a really, really good person, so obviously they're going to heaven. And I'm not a good person, so I'm not going to heaven. And church is a country club. Let me tell you something. Church is not a country club. Church is a hospital where people that are hurting and people that are lost. And, and remember, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious people of the day, stopped Jesus. And they said, why are you hanging out with sinners and all those other people? Why are you doing that? And Jesus said, it's not the well people that need a doctor. Church is a hospital in some respects. Church is also an educational facility where we learn to become disciples. And we learn and we grow and we become empowered to become the people that God's called us to be. You know, some of us, because of our religious upbringing, believe that you're ordained either to go to heaven or hell. Well, it doesn't matter how hard I try. Either God's going to call me to heaven or not. Anybody grow up like that? It doesn't work that way. You have a choice. You have a choice. The Bible tells us that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, and he doesn't want anyone to perish. God loves everybody. And so that religious thinking, that religious philosophy of you have to be a certain way or do a certain thing or have your hair cut a certain way or wear a dress or don't wear a dress or wear boots or don't wear boots or wear jeans or not wear jeans is a bunch of malarkey. Okay? That's religious. Because, see, here's the deal. When anybody comes to you and tells you you have to do certain things or look a certain way or walk a certain way or say certain things, then that becomes religion, and that's not what Jesus is all about. Amen? So it's not a locked gate. When Jesus died, he paid the price, and those chains come off, and the way is wide open for all of us who accept him and receive him. So that's the first myth that people run into. The, the second myth that people run into when they think about church or they think about heaven or Christianity is, you know, I have a hard time relating to God because I've got a pile of luggage in my past. A pile of luggage in my past. You see, maybe you see yourself as someone that God can't use because of your past. In other words, we disqualify ourselves based on our past. Has anybody ever done that? Well, God can't use me because of fill in the blank. 
Now, here's the thing I love, one of, one of the things that I think is so amazing about God. You know, if I sat down right now and, and, and sat with you and you and I were talking, I said, man, tell me about some of your favorite characters from the Bible. Maybe you'd write Moses or maybe you'd write David or Joshua. You'd just write out this list of all these great people. What if I said to you, okay, now let's look at some of the sin in their past. See, a lot of times we don't think about that. We think about Moses raising the stick up. Moses was the man. Moses was awesome. Moses was also a murderer. Or you look at King David. The Bible tells us that King David was a man after God's own heart. King David, in one fell swoop, almost broke all the Ten Commandments at one time. Now, that's a gift right there, if you can do that. I mean, that's, that's what I call overachieving. <laughs> I mean, he committed adultery, he committed murder, he did, I mean, he, he, did, he did all these horrible things, all, you know, and yet he was a man after God's own heart. Or you look at Jesus' bloodline, and there's Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. And it goes on and on. Paul, Paul wrote two-thirds in the New Testament. I can almost see God going, we're going to mess them up. I'm going to save this guy that's persecuting the church and killing people, and then I'm going to turn him around, and he's going to write two-thirds of the New Testament. I want to tell you something. Who understands more about grace than mercy than a sinner? Is that anybody else in here but me? Hey, let me tell you something. I'm living proof that God can use anybody. <laughs> Somebody say amen. Amen. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> he uses donkeys and me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's... But it's the truth. God can use anybody. So if you're sitting out there today, and I know that there's probably a third of you that feel this way. You know, I am so thankful that God saved me, but I'm just going to stay out of the way because I know my past precludes me from, from serving God. That is a bunch of baloney. Jesus died so that you could be free from your past. And he uses adulterers and murderers and liars and thieves and every kind of sinner you can think of. You know why? Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. So if you're here today and you feel like you're disqualified from ministry because of your past, I, I, hate, to, I hate to bust your bubble, but you're wrong. God wants you. God wants you. And let me tell you what I've learned about our past. Our past becomes the jet fuel to fuel us into our future. You know, I think of Anthony and Cindy, who've made probably every financial mistake that you can make, except maybe me, but they made probably every financial mistake that you can make, and they went out there and they turned that area of their lives over to God, and now he's reversed that, and they are so passionate about helping other people get out of debt. And now they're teaching classes on Financial Peace University. And they're helping literally tons of people. Anybody been benefited from their experience? Let me tell you something. Your past qualifies you for ministry. You know, there's an old saying in, in the pastoral ministry. It says, never trust anybody that doesn't walk with a limp. We all have scars. Some of them are just more visible than others. And God can take the pain of your past and he can use it to bless other people. The Bible tells us that what the devil means for evil, God uses for good. 
He can take your pain and your heartache and your hurt and whatever experience you've had and use it to minister to other people. That is good news to me. It's good news. Amen? I'm so thankful that he's done that in my life. Amen. Let me tell you the, the third myth that people think about when they think of Christianity or God or heaven or being used by God. They feel like that it's an endless ladder. They feel like it's an endless ladder to achieve what God's wanting them to achieve. In other words, I have to become this superhuman, super spiritual person by taking classes, serving more, working more. If I work hard enough, then God will accept me, in other words. Folks, that, that's not the way it is. You can't earn God's favor. You can't earn God's favor any more than you can get up in, more, in the morning and try to be an American. God's favor is a gift. It's a gift. And you can't earn a gift. Let me ask you a question. If, if you come over to my house and, and um, let's say you burn my pasture for me. Because um, I would never do that. But, but let's say you come over to my house and, you, and I say, hey, come over to my house, burn my pasture, and I'll pay you something. If, if you do that and I pay you for it, is that a gift? No. That's not a gift. That's a payment for a service rendered. Right? But... If I just walk up to you and hand you $100 and you say, why are you giving this to me? I say, it's a gift. Just receive it. You didn't do anything to earn it. Just receive the gift. So you can't earn a gift. A gift is something that is given to you. And that's the last point. The last point is this, and this is, the, this is the truth. What God gives us, heaven, the ministry that he's called each of us to is a free gift. It's a free gift. And this is the real deal. If you look at, what do we call it? The blank of salvation. The gift of salvation. We call the Holy Spirit the gift of the Holy Spirit. We talk about all the spiritual gifts. Notice there's one word that's common in all of those. They're all gifts. And that means you can't earn them. They are freely given. They are freely given. You did not do anything to deserve to deserve them. 1 Timothy 1 verse 12 through 14 says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful appointing me to his service. And this is Paul talking. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2 verse 8 through 9 says this. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Not by works so that you can boast. If you earned your salvation, then you could say, look how wonderful I am. But when the revelation comes to you that you can't earn salvation, that you can't earn God's grace, and you realize he freely pours it out on you because he loves you, then you're really heading the right direction. So how do we get to the place where we become the church, where we become the people, where this place becomes your church, where this place becomes your ministry? Well, I've got three little things that I'm going to tell you how to get there. Ephesians 3, verse 16 through 21 says this, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life 
and power that comes from God. First thing I want you to notice from the, that verse is God has unlimited resources. God has unlimited resources. Patricia says this a lot, and it, and it makes a lot of sense. God doesn't have to take from one of his children to give to another one. He's got enough for everybody. God's got enough for everybody. And God created you uniquely, and he's given you special gifts. Each person in this room has special gifts. You do. Some of you have the gift of service. I mean, you just love to serve people. Some of you have the gift of administration. I don't have that one. <laughs> Some of you have the gift of leadership. Some of you have the gift of compassion. Some of you, there's all these spiritual gifts that are out there that God gives us, and you have some of those. And your ministry, the ministry that God's calling to you, is built around some of these special gifts that he's given you. It's just kind of the way you are. You're wired that way. God made you that way. I want you to say this after me. Say, I am special. You believe that? You are. And you have special gifts and abilities. Some of you are business people here today. And, and you have this great ability to generate money and do different. That's a gift from God. Some of you have the ability to, to cook. Praise God for you. <laughs> Some of you have gifts of singing. Some of you have all these different gifts. Those are, those are the things that God's given you. You're not just that way. God made you that way. And he can use that gift, and he wants to use that gift in the church. The first thing you have to do, the first thing that you have to do towards moving towards the ministry that God's called you to, moving towards fullness in your life, becoming the person that God's created you to be, here's number one, you have to receive his love. Receive his love. Quit focusing on your past and focus on your future. Quit focusing on what you did yesterday and focus on where you're going. You know, I, I've told this story before, but I think it bears repeating. We were on the farm down in Texas, and we were planting wheat. And, and uh, we had about 64 acres, and we were planting this one part. And I said, Dad, I want to plant it. He said, all right, son, here's the deal. We had an old Oliver tractor with propane in it. That stuff will burn, I'm sure. I'd, I'd stayed away from that. But anyway, there, there's this Oliver tractor, and I lined up, and Dad said, here's what you got to do, son. He said, you've got to pick a target down at the other end of the pasture. And he said, don't look back. Because if you look back, you're going to turn, and then you're going to have to realign yourself. And, and here's the deal. I, I listened to that, and I said, well, okay. And it was a long way. It was like three or 400 yards down to the end of the pasture. Well, I wanted to make sure everything was going right. So what do you think I did? <laughs> yes, I did. You know, what was interesting, though, is that you couldn't really tell that day. <laughs> A few weeks later, Dad came into the house and said, Son, I want to talk to you. Did you look back? Maybe I did. He said, No, you did. I said, What do you mean? He said, Come here. So we walked out into the pasture. We had a goose runway right down the middle. I mean... It was, there was dirt. I mean, you'd go down, it, I don't know, it looked like somebody took a mower down the middle of there. And because you could tell, everywhere I look back, I turned. Have you ever tried to drive just looking in your rearview mirror? It's not easy, is it? This is so spiritual. This is, this is what the Bible's telling us. 
If you're driving looking at your past all the time, you're going to wreck your future. You're going to wreck your future. And if you live in regret every day, if you're constantly going, oh, what I did yesterday, oh, what I did yesterday, I'm so sorry I did that, repent and move on, y'all. You know why I think David was a man after God's own heart? He loved God, and when he made a mistake, he owned up to it, and he moved on. And he didn't live in his past. And I want to tell you, there are people in this room, and there are people in churches all around the country right now, there are people not in church today because of some of the mistakes they've made in their past, and they live with that regret. Well, that divorce 20 years ago, or that person that hurt me five years ago, or this thing I did to somebody else, and they feel like they've disqualified themselves, and they've not received God's love, and they've not received God's forgiveness, and they walk in regret. That's like driving, looking in a rearview mirror. And I want to tell you today, Jesus died so that you could be free from that. Your past is over. What Trisha said is exactly right. Your past is behind you. Those seasons are gone. You can't live in the winter. Who, who, who's ready for springtime? I'm ready for summertime. I mean, this is... But here's the thing. You don't want to live in spring looking back in winter. You've got to be moving ahead. So I'm giving you permission today. Whatever that is in your past that's holding you back, whatever mistake you made, whatever somebody did to you, leave it at the foot of the cross today. And don't look back. Leave it there. Be free. God's called you to be free. Ephesians 3, 18 and 19 says this, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep Jesus' love is. How wide, that song we sang today, how wide, how long, how deep God's love is. Paul said, I just wish you could get a little glimpse to how much God loves you. It's infinite. You can't ever put an amount of love. There's no way to measure God's love for you. It's bigger than you can imagine. But you have to receive it in order to get the benefit of it. Amen? Number two. Number two. You need to know your worth. You need to know your worth. You know how you gauge what something's worth? How do you gauge the worth of anything? Somebody. The price? Okay. In other words, you gauge the worth of something by how much you're willing to pay for it, right? Correct? Do you know how much you cost? You cost God everything. And I don't say that today to convict you. I say that today for you to realize your value. Because, see, some of us have been told, you're not worth anything. Nobody wants you. That's not true. Think about this. The creator of the universe, the God of everything, the God who created the heavens and the earth, that knows everything, created you. And he loved you so much that he sent his only son, his most valuable thing that he had. He sent his son to die for you. So if anybody ever asks how much you're worth, you can say, enough that God would send Jesus to die for me. That's immeasurable. 
So you are, are worth something. You're worth everything to God. And you know what? I thought about this. As much as I love you guys, I would never send Miles to die for you. I don't think I could do it. And think about this. God sent Jesus to die for us when some of us hadn't even chosen him yet. There are people outside these doors that Jesus died for, he paid for, that will never come to the kingdom. But God loved them anyway. And I'm convinced that Jesus would have died even if nobody had come to him. Because that's how much worth God puts in us. That's an amazing thing. Let that sink in for a second. So if you're here today and you feel like you've messed up too much, or you're here today and you feel like you're not worth anything, you need to understand what God said you're worth. Now you may think you're not worth anything, but what you think really doesn't mean a whole lot. Because your value is what the price tag is on you. And the price tag on you says, Jesus, you're worth the creator of the universe dying for you. That's an amazing, amazing fact. You need to let that sing in. You need to know your worth. We read the scripture earlier, 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Here's the last, last point, and then I'm going to close. Let me cover the first two. We need to realize and receive God's love. We need to know what our worth is, know what our value is. And the, the last thing we need to do is fulfill your purpose. Fulfill your purpose. Ephesians 3, verse 20 through 21 says this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. See, if I could do anything for you, if I could do anything for you, it would be this, so that you could understand how much you matter to God. So that you could understand your true value to God. So that you could see your true worth. Because if you ever, for one minute, caught a glimpse of what God thinks of you and what you're worth to Him, it would change everything for you. It would change everything. And if you can hear today, if you can hear in your heart today what God's Word is saying about you, that you are worth everything to God. You are the church. And see what happens when you finally get a glimpse of who you really are and you finally realize who God's called you to be and that you are his hands and feet. Then you go out and you help other people see who they really are. That God loves them. That they are valuable. That there's nobody on this planet, not one single human being on this planet that is worth throwing away. Because they are all created in God's image. Every one of us. And everyone has value. Everyone has value. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I thank you that your word is true. And I thank you, Lord, that we are the church. And in this final lesson, Lord, as we talk about crossing over from death to life to becoming the church that you've called us to be, Lord, each one of us has to take our place. Each one of us. And I, I know, Lord, that there are people here today that 
disqualify themselves from, from getting involved with church because of their past. They feel like they've been too bad. They feel like they've done one sin too many or a hundred sins too many. They feel like there's no way that you could love them. And Lord, your word doesn't say that at all. You know each of us by name. You created us. We are all your children. And you have a plan for each one of our lives. And no matter how far away we've run, no matter how far away we've run, you'll take us back home. And Lord, I thank you for that promise. I thank you that, Lord, you saw me. You knew every sin I was going to make, every mistake. And Lord, Jesus hung on the cross for me. That's amazing. And Lord, it's the same for each person in this room. You know each of them by name. You handcrafted them. They are your masterpiece, and you love them. And so, Father, I, t I pray today, as we take our place in the church, Father, that you would help us to receive your love, that we would know how much we're worth to you. But, Father, help us to fulfill the call that you put, put in each of our lives. Lord, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we'll never be fulfilled as people. We can never make enough money. We can never have enough things. Lord, we have to have you to be fulfilled. We have to do what you've called us to do, try and true fulfillment. So, Father, as we're here today with every head bowed and eye closed, and you may be here today and you may say, Pastor, you know, the reality is I've never received Jesus as my Savior. Or maybe you're here today and you've received Jesus as your Savior, but you've walked away. Maybe some things that you've done you feel like disqualify you. Well, I'm here to tell you today that that's not true. You can never do too much to be away from God's love. Or maybe you're here today and, and you just, you've got some things in your life you need to deal with and you want to lay them at the foot of the cross. Just slip your hand up. That's you today in any of those things. Say, Pastor, I just need to pray today. I, I need to rededicate my heart to the Lord today. Today, I want to turn my heart back to Him. I need to receive Jesus as my Savior today. Or maybe you're here and you're dealing with some struggles, you're dealing with some challenges, and you just want some people to agree with you in prayer. If that's you, you say, Pastor, I've just got some things I'm dealing with and I need help. I need God to help me today. Slip your hand up. Say, Pastor, that's me. Amen. Amen. I'm going to give one more call here. I'd like the prayer partners to come forward. Your prayer partners, you come forward. And if you slipped your hand up, nothing to be embarrassed about. This is your day. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. So if that's you today, just come forward and somebody wants to pray with you. Amen. Folks all over coming up. Amen. your chance today. Come forward and we're going to pray for you. Amen. Amen. And if you're out in the, in the audience today, just pray for the folks that are up here. Many of them are making huge decisions right now, dealing with challenges, whatever it is they're dealing with. Let's pray for them.
is good, amen. I want you to know, I, I know there are always people that maybe you're dealing with something and you didn't want to come up. God wants to meet you right where you are. He knows every pain that you have. He knows every challenge that you face. And not only does he know about it, he wants to do something about it. Amen. So as you go this week, as you leave, I want you to remember that, that God loves you and God has a plan for you. Amen. Let's stand and pray over you as we go today. Father, I thank you, Lord, for every person here today. And Lord, as they leave this place, I pray you would be with them. That they would realize that they are a light on a hill. Lord, that they're, let their light shine so that other people would see their light. And Lord, they would point towards you. And Father, as we shine our lights, let us be fulfilled. And become the people that you want us to be. Bless us as we go. I pray, Father, this week that in each of our lives you would show up in a special way. Just to let us know that you're God. And that you love us. In Jesus' name.